Sunday, February the 5th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. So after the fasting comes the... Brilliant. You guys are really getting the hang of this after seven years. I'm quite impressed. Uh, We're going to spend the next couple of weeks in our feasting February time. And sadly, I haven't got food for you today. Uh, If you were here earlier, a few of us did have some bacon sandwiches. So um, we started off this month feasting. But we're going to be thinking about feasting on different elements of our Christian walk. Because the Bible again and again reminds us that actually the Christian life is supposed to be full of joy, supposed to be full of fellowship and fun, it's supposed to be full of all of the good things of God. And so we're going to be thinking about some of those over the next couple of weeks. But beginning this week, we're thinking about feasting with God, the importance of a daily encounter with him. Last Sunday, I had an encounter uh, with something, and I will never forget this encounter. It was a wonderful encounter. It is an encounter that since last Sunday, I have woken up every single morning thinking about. It was an encounter that was so good. As soon as it was over, I wanted to do it again. It was an encounter with this. That is an Oreo cookie pie. And it is the best encounter with food I think I have ever had. Just in case you don't know what this is, that's custard at the bottom, ambrosia, of course, full fat. And then the next layer is cookie dough, then Oreo, then chocolate spread, then more Oreo spread, then cookie dough on the top. This encounter has changed puddings forever. You are laughing. I am not joking. This pudding was made by Becky Garland. You need to have her in your life. And it has changed me. I am not sure I can have pudding ever again now. Been spoilt rotten. Unless Becky cooks it again, which I have requested for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the next five weeks. This encounter has changed me. I wonder if you've had an encounter, perhaps with something like this, that's changed you in one way or another. An encounter that you did something, or you met someone, or you had an experience of something, and afterwards you can kind of go, yeah, there was before that moment, and now there's after that moment. A serious encounter happened to me over the washing up 20-odd years ago with a man called Richard. He went home with a bottle of wine with my phone number on. An encounter that changed us forever. What would life look like now if that encounter in the washing up hadn't happened? Who knows? There are encounters that change us. And what is absolutely wonderful about the story of God is that there are many who encounter God and are changed forever. 
And my encounter with Jesus age 16 was actually better than the cookie pie. I mean, it's hard to believe that right now, but it was. Encounters change us. And what is absolutely wonderful is that Jesus invites us every single day to encounter him. That God, the Father, says, come and encounter me. And when you do, I promise your life is going to be changed. Encounters with God change us. The Bible's full of them, isn't it? Of uh, moments between the people of God and their God. There's obvious ones like Moses in the burning bush or the robber who encountered Jesus on the cross hanging next to him or the disciples when they were fishing encountering Jesus for the first time and abandoning their nets and following him. Or think about the encounter of Saul on the road to Damascus. That encounter with God changed him forever. There are so many references we could look at today. But I want us to think about the one right at the beginning of Genesis, the beginning of the Bible. And there's this encounter that Adam and Eve have with God just after they've eaten the forbidden fruit. So the first sin has happened. They're aware of what they have done. They've realized they're naked and gone to find some things to make clothes. They know they've disobeyed God big time. I wonder how Adam and Eve were feeling in that moment. I should imagine there was guilt and shame. They tried to cover themselves with leaves and hide. And of course, God knew what was going on because he's all-knowing, isn't he? But instead of immediately banishing them, throwing his anger at them, he says this. Then the man and wife heard the sound of the Lord God as they were walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? Instead of immediately banishing them, God went and found them and said, come and have an encounter with me. I've been reading this brilliant book. It's not big. It's called Be Still, but it's taken me forever because every word has rung true for me. And I'd like to just read a little bit of what he says about this encounter with God. Fear and shame about what Adam and Eve had done had caused them to hide. It can do the same things for us. The thought comes, if I'm alone with God, he's going to see things in me that I don't want him to. I'm going to be confronted with my lack of knowledge or my sin or my weakness. I'm frightened that I will be found out as shallow or weak and useless at being a Christian. Maybe I should just skip those personal encounters and get busy doing other things, good things perhaps, like church and Christian things. Some commentators say that God was not calling out to find Adam and Eve's physical location. Rather, what condition they were in. As you might say today, where are you at? Sometimes I'd rather not answer that question. But God pursues us. It's a gracious pursuit, one that is laced with kindness in order for him to help us recover and restore. We do not need to fear an encounter because in genuine encounter, we are made whole. Adam and Eve, even after all that they had done wrong against God, had an encounter. They had an encounter with God. An encounter with God changes us. 
As we come out of the Daniel fast, I'm hoping you're looking back and thinking, do you know, I had some encounters with God, perhaps in worship or reading my Bible or with someone else. And as I've come out of the Daniel fast, I felt God's serious nudge again for us, the people of Burlington, to encounter God this year. Perhaps for the first time for some of us, but for many of us to deepen our encounter with him. I need food about every four hours. I need God every single minute of the day. And what's amazing is that God wants to be with me. He wants me to encounter him. He's inviting all of us to daily know and enter into that encounter. As we were just reminded, God pursues us. It's a gracious pursuit, one that's laced with kindness in order for him to help us recover and restore. What a beautiful phrase. The invitation this year is for us to have a deeper encounter with Jesus. We read those Psalms a minute ago, didn't we? Thank you, Helen, for that. I could have picked any, really, but I love this phrase. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? I've longed for more encounter with God. And recently, I've become probably more hungry for it. My soul thirsts, I relate to that. Because the times I spend with God satisfy me in a way that nothing else can. They help me reset and put things into perspective. They help me to understand what's really going on. They help me to grow trust and faith with God. And so on your own, I'm not going to get you to talk to anyone today. Everyone's going, phew. Do I long for an encounter with God? And what would you be willing to do with that? Now, you might just say, do you know what? I don't really know what that means, Claire. Hold on, we're coming to it. But maybe you're thinking, do you know what? When Claire's talking about an encounter that changes me, yes, I need more of that in my life. What would you be willing to do for one? Just have a moment of silence and think of those questions. Okay, what I'm going to say for the rest of the talk is not rocket science. In fact, when I was writing it, I was like, Claire, how do you make this sound more complicated than it is? You're like going to be in front of loads of people. They're going to see right through you and go, well, that wasn't revolutionary. Sorry, I have nothing to say that's complicated. But I have got some things to say that might help you with your encounter with God. Let's go back to that passage in Genesis. I think there are two things that really help us when we think about having an encounter with God. Notice where God was and notice what time of day it was. Let's look at the word garden to start with. God was walking in the garden. The Hebrew, uh, and I'm no Hebrew scholar, but the Hebrew for, for garden is Ghana. 
And it doesn't mean a garden like you or me. You know, we're not off to a National Trust property that's really manicured and beautiful. In the biblical times, gardens were actually enclosed spaces, quite small, where you could tuck yourself in. Uh, They were places of rest. You might just pop out to your garden to just have a moment to yourself. Remember, you probably lived in a household with many mother-in-laws. You know, you needed that space, that, that garden space of rest and of peace. So the, the Hebrew word means a covered, a hidden place. I have a chair at my dining table and it's not my chair. You know, when you kind of sit around um, at the table and you find you've always sat in that chair every night. Well, this is actually Lucy's chair for dinner, but this is my garden space. I come home from dropping the kids off in the morning. I have about 25 minutes before I need to go to work. And I sit in that chair every day and encounter God. That's my garden space. That's the moment where I can feel hidden with God. And it's the same chair every day. You might want to say, Claire, mix it up a bit. Move to the one next door. No, that's my chair. And almost as I'm sitting down with my Bible or my notebook, I sit there and I expect to hear from God. And I expect to encounter him. There's nothing magic about that chair. I haven't prayed for it, chucked holy water on it, none of that. It's just the same chair every day usually has baked beans on it. You know, it's nothing special, but it's the moment of me sitting down. I'm ready for that encounter. I wonder where your garden is. And the call of the day. It's as simple as finding a moment in your day, probably that's the same time every single day. As I say, drop the kids off at quarter past eight, usually home a few minutes after that, and I sit there for those 25 minutes in that chair. That's my call of the day moment in the garden. Do you have a place like that? Could you have a place like that? Some people have whole prayer rooms. I'd love to have your house. But most people just have a chair where they encounter God. So tip number one on how to encounter God, find your garden and find your time of the day. I am not a a 6am prayer as some of you will attest to. But quarter past eight, I'm just about wake enough to talk to people. What is your time of the day? Where is your garden? The second part, though, I can already hear some of your heads shouting at me, if I'm honest. It's the elephant in the room. I have a million things to do, Claire. I'm a busy person, I know. I don't have the luxury at quarter past eight. I, I, I. We can come up with lots of reasons why we can't do this. We can also, if you're a bit like me, be distracted really easily. So you sit down in that chair and you remember things that need to go on the shopping list. And you sit down in that chair and you remember you haven't replied to that text message or, oh no, I haven't done that or I forgot the trumpet for school, whatever it is. I wonder what battle you're thinking about now when you sit down ready for a distraction Uh, uh, sorry, an encounter and a distraction comes. What's your distraction? The Cambridge Dictionary says it's something that prevents someone from giving their attention to something else. Something that distracts you. What's your distraction? My worst distraction. Oh, I think that was sympathy and you feel the same. Distractions are really key. 
I love, again in this book, how he talks about dealing with distractions. And Jesus himself talks about it. And he says, the solution to distraction is this. For when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Here, he's talking about finding an intentional location, your garden, a quiet room with no doors. That might be a good idea. But your intentional location, find your place, but also be intentional with your action around distractions. So I used to use my um, phone a lot for taking notes and things like that, but actually I find I slipped to Facebook and then I slipped to Instagram and then 25 minutes is done, I haven't even read my Bible. So turning this off is an intentional action just to say, no, I can't have that as a distraction I need to make sure I've got my Bible and a notebook to hand. Uh, I need to make sure that I am intentionally doing something in that time so that my mind doesn't wander, so I follow a Bible plan. That really helps me. That's an intentional action to make my encounter with God very intentional. And therefore, I have an intentional interaction. I do something in that time, rather than just sitting there waiting for God to show up. I have Bible verses that I use uh, to help me focus. I might read a psalm at the beginning of my time and then the Bible passage for the day. There are lots of different things, and Simon's going to talk a lot next week about how we use the Bible in our encounter with God, so I'm not going to steal all of his ideas. But honestly, it's not difficult an intentional location, your garden, intentional action to get rid of your distractions, and an intentional interaction that invites God to meet with you. And there's loads of things you can do in your quiet time. You can use scripture and journaling. You can use silence and solitude. You can memorize and meditate on scripture. We're trying really hard to memorize scripture. The kids are way better at it than me. My brain does not hold it, but we're working on it. You can use wonder. You can use deeper study. There's all kinds of things that you can do in your intentional encounters with God. I want us to think about just a couple of things now, though, that perhaps aren't what you normally do. I want us to think about the wonder of God. The wonder of God. This is a real journey for me at the moment, so that's why I'm talking about it, because it's real for me. If I tell you, you might remind me to do it. I want to read you um, a story from this. I'm a busy bean, and I find myself often rushing through my day without even a moment to breathe. I find my attention is diverted all over the place. I'm excellent at multitasking. I can be doing a piece of work while thinking about while cooking for tea, talking to the kids on the phone, and mentally planning a talk for Sunday. Uh, I can watch TV and do a jigsaw and be on Facebook all at the same time. You might call that impressive, but actually, most of the time, it stops me being able to focus. And then a couple of weeks ago, I read this, and it was like a bang in the teeth for me. And I thought, do you know what, Claire? It's time to focus. It's time to experience the wonder of God. So this guy writes here. We had a prayer space in St. Paul's Cathedral. 
It was set out in the St. Michael's Chapel, which is near the front door. In the process of setting up a prayer room, you can quickly become very busy with lots of practical tasks. This is accentuated in a national historic building with only a small window of time before the public come in. As often happens, we realised we'd forgotten something, this time an extension cable. We were told that the verger based at the other end of the building had one we could use. So I quickly walked the length of the building, passing the Duke of Wellington's resting place to an office where the verger might be, only to be told that he was downstairs. So I rushed downstairs past Admiral Lord Nelson's final resting place, Uh, And this place is full of other resting places as well. Arriving downstairs, I found out that the verger had gone back up another way. So I sighed and charged back upstairs. I was cross, I was busy, I was focused. And I'd started to become more than a little bit flustered. Then in a moment, something deep within me said stop. I'm standing below the beautiful domed ceiling of St. Paul's. An architectural and artistic wonder of vibrant colours, glorious artworks and stunning design. In my busyness, I hadn't even noticed it. Intent on getting the job done, I'd not stopped to look up and notice the beauty around me. Perhaps on this day in particular, you would have thought I learnt my lesson. God was obviously pointing something out to be emphasised. We had borrowed a kneeler for the prayer space and had placed a lovely leather-bound journal on it so that people could kneel and write their prayers. A rather grumpy member of staff quickly bustled over and said, Ah, I see you're using the Queen's kneeler. I had apparently borrowed the Queen of England's kneeler for our prayer activity. Embarrassed, I explained that I hadn't noticed. The staff member said to me, you need to look up. Right above the kneeler had previously been positioned, there was the royal crest saying, the Queen's kneeler. The staff graciously covered the kneeler with a very special cloth and smiled. Every time I saw people kneel on that kneeler that week, I knew they were addressing the King of Kings, from the Queen of England's Neela. What an amazing story. What would happen if you look up? What would happen if you allowed God's wonder just to capture you for a moment? So my chair, my garden, is right in front of the window. And we have a little bird feeder, which everybody laughs at me about, on the window. Because when the, the kitchen's busy, nothing comes But this week, I had a blue tit and a robin come to the feeder because I was sat still. That caught my attention. That made me go, wow. That was a wonder moment, not quite as beautiful as the uh, Queen's Kneeler, perhaps. But it made me go, wow. And my mind went to all those verses about how Jesus looks after the sparrows, so how will he look after me and how I can be dressed beautifully in his grace. What would happen... If you looked up. Also, what would happen if you looked back? And you saw how amazing God had been through all kinds of situations. What would happen if you looked forward knowing that actually he's put some wonderful things in your life, but also he's promising eternity with him? I suspect all of those things 
would help you lead to giving thanks. I wonder what your distraction is. But also I wonder what would happen if you embraced the wonder of God. I know loads of you who love to spend encounter time in beautiful places because I see the lovely photos you posted. Perhaps your garden, walking along the beach, going somewhere new. Let's explore the wonder of God together. Let's pause. Let's not just rush through the day and not take note to the many wonderful things that God has got for us. How are you going to intentionally wander this week? It doesn't take long to look up. It's amazing what you might see. Final thing I'd like us to embrace is silence. I am rubbish at silence. If we're at home, the radio's on. Even when I am writing a talk, I generally choose to do that somewhere not at home. Partly because there's too many distractions, like the washing. But I like to be around the bustle. I like noise. Some of you don't. And I would love to know how you do this, so you can teach me. But there are loads and loads of stories in the um, Bible, but also in church history ever since, about how God uses silence to speak. That sounds a weird thing to say, but it's about quietening not just your environment, but your mind. When was the last time your mind was silent? Hmm. Maybe right now. Your account is lovely. I'm not listening. I like to talk and I take that into my own encounter with God as well. I find that 20 minutes is of me talking at God and then me going, quick, I haven't listened. Oh, quickly. I give him all I need to say, and then I give him like a minute to answer. But the silent mind thing as well is really hard, isn't it? Our minds are full often. Our minds are challenging, are thinking of the next thing that's coming and what else you've got to do today. But surprise, surprise, and you might all think I'm stupid, but apparently if you're silent, you listen better. (laughs) Told you it wasn't rocket science. So through the Daniel fast, I've tried to be silent in my prayers. It's really hard. (laughs) It's really hard. I've tried to quieten my mind by having a piece of paper that at the beginning of my encounter time, I just write everything down that's in my mind to then get to a place where I go, I can deal with that later. It's helping me with my wonder moments. It's helping me when I'm reading the Bible, because instead of me reading the Bible, kind of trying to get out what I need for that day, oh, Lord, I need the grace, so give me a Bible verse about grace, or give me, um, I've got a difficult situation, give me a, a nice Bible verse about peace. Instead, I'm coming at it with a quiet mind and saying, God, my mind's quiet. What have you got for me today? I wonder how you are at silence. Do you find it awkward? Are you waiting for me to say the next thing? When we quieten ourselves, it's an invitation to listen to God. It's an invitation for him to lead the conversation. It's an invitation for him, the maker of heaven and earth, to meet our deepest needs that we might not even know about. 
And so what we're going to do now is we're going to share communion in just a moment in silence. And it might feel like the longest 10 minutes of your life. Or it might feel just like a breath of fresh air. But we're going to sing together in a moment, so maybe the band want to come up. Um, and Rich, could you text Lucy, please? Because I think the youth are going to come back for communion. They're going to have a shock. <laughs> it's going to be very quiet. But we're going to experience what I'm talking about, rather than me telling you about silence. We're going to experience, I will say a few words, otherwise it probably will be a very weird communion. But we're going to experience some silence. So I will be leaving long gaps where we will do nothing. And what I'd love you to do right at the beginning is to uh, just kind of lay all the things in your head down to God and try and quiet your mind. It says, be still and know that I am God. Well, to be still means you have to get rid of all of that movement and that energy, which is one of the reasons we're going to sing right now. But we're going to practice being really silent. And perhaps as you're eating the bread, you might want to remember with gratitude what God has done for you. And as you're drinking the wine, maybe you want to go, do you know what? I'm so grateful. But we're doing that silently. Or maybe you want to just sit there in silence and just allow God to meet with you. Maybe what I was talking about wonder needs to do. Look up. Look up. What will God catch your attention with in this building that he might speak to you about? So we're going to do communion in silence in just a moment. Before we do, let's stand together and sing and worship God as we prepare ourselves for communion.